Hello and welcome to episode number 67. Can't believe it's 67. 67 of Lime Ninja Radio. I am your host, McKay Rippey. And still not with me in the studio this evening is Aurora. She has arrived safely on the West Coast and her sister flew back. And we still haven't worked out how we're going to tie together and do this East Coast, West Coast technology thing, but I'm still hopeful. So keep your fingers crossed and maybe the next few episodes we'll get her back in here. Virtually, that is. Today's a special episode. It's lesson one of a master class, and this master class is going to be about nutrition and brain health, and you're not going to want to miss any of the episodes, any of the lessons. They're just going to be amazing. But before I get into that, I'm very excited to introduce a new sponsor. Our sponsor is Greg Lee. He's my friend and mentor, and he's a Lyme expert. He runs the goodbylyme.com website, and his practice is based in Frederick, Maryland. He's putting on a special training, an online training for practitioners that goes beyond antibiotics and really starts to teach Lyme practitioners, how to use essential oils, how to use Chinese herbs, how to use homeopathics, and how to mix and match and put together a unique protocol. So not just a generalized protocol, but a very specific treatment plan. And I interviewed Greg recently, and here's what he had to say about his approach. You know, over the past 17 years, I've been working with hundreds of Lyme patients, and many of them, 80% of my patients are on antibiotics. I got 20 Lyme litter doctors in my area. And I see patients from all of them. And they've tried Buner, they've tried Cowden, they've tried Marshall, they've tried Zhang. Uh, they've, you know, they've got their own Rife machines, and many of these people are still sick, are still struggling, and they have recurring symptoms. And to me, it's, uh, they've done the protocols, and they need something much more customized, much more targeted. Man, I'm excited about this training. And if you have a practitioner who you think would benefit from this, send them over to Greg's website and they can learn about the details to register for this. It's going to be online. It's going to be easy to access. It's a really a no-brainer for a Lyme practitioner. And the address is goodbylyme.com front slash Lyme Ninja. So it's really easy to remember. Goodbylyme.com front slash Lime Ninja, and send your practitioner over there to check out the details. As I mentioned, this is lesson one of our four-part masterclass on nutrition and brain health, and you're not going to want to miss this. So if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast on iTunes, take a minute, go do that. You can also go over to our website and sign up for an insider mailing list. That way you'll be sure not to miss an episode, not to miss a lesson of this masterclass. And that's LimeNinjaRadio.com. Just go there. There are multiple ways to put your email in and we'll let you know when the next masterclass comes out in a day or two. Okay. Our first expert is Ariane Resnick. She's a private chef and a certified nutritionist. She specializes in organic farm to table cuisine. And her first book, the Bone Broth Miracle was released this past May. But what caught my attention about Ariane is she's a survivor of late-stage Lyme disease. She's been there. She's been debilitated. She worked her way back to health, and one of her main tools was bone broth. 
And then to double it off, she then was chemically poisoned, environmentally chemically poisoned, and was back bedridden, exhausted, very, very sick. And she recovered a second time. This woman has been in and out of the depths. She knows what it's like, and she's somebody you have to listen to. She's been featured in media such as Well and Good New York City, In Style, the Chicago Sun-Times, Star Magazine, Goop.com, Food.com, the Huffington Post, so you get the idea. Please, let's dive right in with our expert on bone broth with Ariane Resnick. Before we get started, I have a very simple question for you. Ariane's such a beautiful name. What's the story behind it? Thank you. Sure. It's um, Ariane. Ariane, I'm sorry. And um, it's okay. Um, because I am vaguely ethnic looking, people always think it has some sort of ethnic story. And um, in reality, my parents let my sister choose my middle name <laughs> before I was going to be born. That's a great story. <laughs> and it was the name of a girl in her first grade class. No kidding. Um, and I didn't resonate with my original first name. So as soon as I became an adult, uh, I changed it to my middle name. And there is, um, there's no ethnic or a real personal story be- beside that. Um, my sister was like six at the time and they wanted to give her some power over the situation. <laughs> How about that? Uh, so can I ask what your original name was? Uh, it was Heather. Heather. Oh, that's not bad. It was always like a very perky blonde kind of name yeah. and it just, it just it didn't fit so and i was young at the time when you know heathers was big like the movie and it was that was the epitome of of heather and i was like i'm just not one of these i'm not a heather Uh, (laughs) exactly so as soon as i was an adult i was like let's go to social security and it's a real easy process to just take off part of your name and i have been arian for nearly 20 years now that's incredible my my name mckay is uh a family name on my dad's side and it got time to get me mm-hmm. baptized, and they had a mini panic and said, oh, my God, we didn't give him a Christian name. So they went down to the <laughs> Hall of Records and put Paul in front of it. So my name is actually Paul oh, McKay Rippy. But the only people who ever called me Paul were policemen and substitute teachers. So mm-hmm. Stories always have McKay's a good name. much more interesting. It is, isn't it? So bone broth and Lyme disease, and you're expert on both. Indeed. <laughs> Mutually exclusive, although now they go together. Um, yeah. At the time for me, they didn't. So how do, what, what's your Lyme story? What's the short version of that? Sure. The short version of my Lyme story is that I had the late stage version where you have no idea that you've ever been bitten by a tick or a mosquito. Um, and you very randomly start getting a lot of weird symptoms that no doctor can figure out what's wrong. And everyone tells you you're crazy. And eventually, after a long time of being sick and doing every possible cleanse out there, um, I was diagnosed. I was told that for having, you know, already had it for years, it was going to require at least a year of antibiotics, presumably intramuscular or intravenous. And I knew that wasn't the right route for me. I had a very holistic background and I never did antibiotics. I chose to go a more natural route instead. And from diagnosis to recovery was a lot less time than it took me to be sick. I was actually better within six months and have been Lyme free for nearly five years now. That's fantastic. So which natural routes did you go? Sure. I originally did the Cowden protocol, Mm -hmm. which is herbal antibiotics. And that, um, 
my body did not work out with that. It, um, even though they give you supplements to detoxify, Mm -hmm. it just was nowhere near enough for Mm -hmm. me. And there was no amount that I could take of the detox herbs, like the Berber, um, to enable my body to get rid of what it was killing. So it gave me, um, within about six weeks, fibromyalgia that was so severe. My limbs just didn't bend anymore. Um, (laughs) and when I spoke to the company and said, is this normal? They said, no, this probably isn't the route for you. And it was the route that I was planning on going, Mm -hmm. you know, the six month protocol of that. And I figured, okay, this instead of a year of antibiotics, that'll be better. But it put me far, far worse than I originally was because at least initially I was sick but functional. And Mm -hmm. it put me into that category of um, I will take a wheelchair through the airport. Right, right. So um, through family, I found a rice machine. The GB4000 was the model that I used. And I used it initially for detox Mm -hmm. because I was advised to not use it right away to kill Lyme because I was already in such a harmed toxic state. Right. Um, with the inability to bend my limbs. And I used it on the detox settings alone until I was better enough and kind of got back to that baseline where I'd begun. Mm -hmm. And then I used it on the line settings for three months. And by the time I was up to full power and full time on the machine with the line settings, it was basically dead. And I began to get better pretty quickly. I did that along with a lot of other holistic modalities like acupuncture with cupping. Um, I had a pretty incredible diet. A number of other different, every natural detoxifying method I could find, I used in conjunction with the Rife machine because I very quickly gained the understanding that it's so rarely the actual lime making you sick. It's more what you're killing, not being able to get out of you making you yeah. sick. Yeah, well, lime's got all those weird proteins in it that just wreak havoc once it's dead. Exactly. And you have a system filled with ammonia and there are many things like proteolytic enzymes that help get it out. Mm -hmm. But you need a lot of different, a lot of different detox modalities along with whatever you choose to do for killing it. Yeah. Interesting. I'm glad to hear you mention acupuncture. I'm an acupuncturist and... Oh, cool. Yeah. The the mobile cupping was um, one of the biggest things for me. Did you do any wet cupping at all? I don't think so. What is that? You would know. <laughs> it's it's a okay. little bit it's a little bit of bleeding. No. So you no, there was no there was you, no blood involved. Yeah, you lance you lance the site a little bit and then use the cup to extract uh, a little bit of blood, um, and it it helps with neurological symptoms pretty quickly. Oh, interesting! It's pretty amazing, and th- there's something different about the person who's actively infected. Their blood comes out and coagulates much more thickly and much more quickly. It's really pretty gross. Um, so anyway, mm-hmm. I've seen that demonstrated. I've used it a few times myself. I mentor with Greg Lee, and it's he's one of the proponents of of the wet cupping. But you did just the mobile cupping, where they're just moving it along your back and. Exactly. The Chinese would say, yeah, the say, treatment. Yeah, breaking up the the stagnant chi or stagnant exactly. blood. It yeah. got it, it got everything moving, and it was really quick um, that everything was kind of mobile within me again. And when I began doing it, I had done acupuncture in the past, but not recently. So mm-hmm. when I began doing it, I was already several months into. Um, the rice machine and feeling, you know, not really any difference. 
but knowing that I was making progress on it. And after just one session with the acupuncture, I felt palpably different and like I had really accomplished something. And as I continued that, it was maybe another month or so before I was fully on my feet and mobile again, pretty huh? much back to life. Yeah. yeah. It was, um, it was very surprising and I've had some really incredible luck in working with people since who, uh, there aren't a lot of people once they get better who tend to remain very vocal about having had Lyme. It's typically something that someone will come out with while they're sick and they're in the process with the antibiotics and either they get better or they don't, right. but then they kind of stop talking about it. <laughs> and I, um, I've been very vocal about having had it and having recovered from it and trying to be a voice of hope for people who are sick for years and a voice for people who are knowing that the traditional Western route isn't working for them. And in doing that, a lot of people have found me and said things like, I got this rice machine, please help me. What do I do with it? Or I'm using it and it's just too much. What do I do? So I've had some really incredible luck with helping other people um, through their own kind of path to wellness without um, the standard practitioners that I wasn't able to find yeah, and that are really hard to find to get your own protocol down. And I think that that's one thing with the illness that's so important is that it forces people to take control and take charge over their bodies in ways that they have never done before. It, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm sitting here shaking my head violently up and down. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> Just keep going, Ariane, because it's so true. And I, I've been fortunate enough to interview quite a few people who have kind of successfully navigated out of their first hole. Some of them had relapse, um, relapses, and some of them are still more like you, where they've, they've hit a good place again in their health. Uh, and each one tells the same story. There's some point where they take control of their treatment themselves and they, you know, sometimes they find somebody, their own protocol, but often it, it involves, just like you said, leaving behind something that was given to them as the answer and then going and searching and finding their particular path. I mean, it, it does seem like Lyme calls forth individualized medicine in a big way. Yes. I I think chronic illness in general does. And the more, you know, marginalized and underfunded an illness is, the more it does that. And I think that that's an incredibly important lesson. And that's something that in doing like the nutrition and wellness counseling that I do, I've been very vocal about is letting people know that I'm really grateful for the experience. Yeah. Um, I had the Lyme disease and I had um, uh, low dose chronic carbon monoxide exposure that led to carbon monoxide poisoning about two years later. Boy. And people are always so shocked yeah. when I say like, Oh my God, I wouldn't take it back. Anything like who I am as a person is so formed from the experiences I went through and the ways that they really forced me to evaluate my life and myself and my place in the world was beyond valuable. There's no way that I would be with the life that I have now, if not for what I experienced. And I'm always encouraging people to find the lesson mm -hmm. in their illness. What is it that, Life tried to teach them in a gentle way, and they didn't necessarily get. So life kind of <laughs> ended up beating them over the head with it instead. Yeah. So that you have to. And I, I really felt that found that once people can find the lessons and the ways to grow, they really do tend to recover. And one of those things is exactly we're in a society where we give up our control and our power in 
so many ways constantly um, in order to just be part of a society. We Mm -hmm. have to have rules. You can't just, you know, drive on either side of the street or (laughs) half of us would be dead. You know, like there, there's so many rules that are so important, but it puts us in this mindset of feeling really falsely that other people know better for our bodies and our spirits than we do. And that just isn't true. And one of the biggest things that I've had to grapple with in doing nutritionist work is people just saying, tell me what to eat. Right. You know, what foods are right and what foods are wrong. And I have some very very basic beliefs about that. Like if you have inflammation issues, you certainly shouldn't eat inflammatory foods. Mm -hmm. But as far as what the right diet is for someone, if they should be vegan, if they should be paleo, if beans are the devil or they're not, my answer is really, well, how do they make you feel? Yeah. That's, and we're just so out of touch with how we feel that it's really (laughs) difficult for people to find the answers to those things. Yeah. So the two, two quick stories, and then I want to get into, uh, how food fits into this, and particularly bone, bone broth. So the first story is, so many, many times when somebody comes into my office with, you know, and a lot of times pain is what gets somebody in the door. It gets people's attention. Mm-hmm. And I'll ask them, so to tell me, how how is your back feeling? And they'll say something like, well, the MRI shows. I said, no, no, how does your back <laughs> feel, right? And they'll say, well, the doctor says, and then you know, kind of look them in the eye and say, how does your back feel? And it dawns on them what you're asking. And it takes them a while to kind of sink into yeah. their body and, and feel because they've been pushing it away for so long. And we're mm-hmm. kind of trained that way. So what you're saying is beautiful. Yeah. The second little story, I have this pet theory of mine that so, you know, you go back to the old country, right? Wherever the old country is for you. And their traditional ways of eating traditional foods at traditional times, it was set in stone. You know, people ate the same way, the same food, Mm -hmm. generation after generation after generation after generation. And occasionally an army would come through and mix things up or people would have to move for something up for some other reason, famine, war, something like that. And it would be a huge upset. But all of a sudden we became mobile, right? And he, but even in the old mobile days, we'd bring the old ways with us, right? And yeah. then that kind of faded away. And then we used to have the cultural taboos is like the Catholics wouldn't marry the Protestant and the Irish wouldn't marry the English and, and all those broke down. So now we really do have this massive melting pot where there is no more traditional – our DNA isn't rooted in the soil where our – ancestors are from and we're mixing up dna all over the world in a way that never has happened before and so what you say about finding your individual path it's it has to be done because your sister's dna may be totally different she needs a totally different diet than you do Mm -hmm. exactly And, and that message is just it's so it's so tough to do on on by a person on their own and it's so and and it's so critical they need somebody like you Thank you. It's one thing that um, when people say, you know, I don't even know where to begin, yeah. um, my yeah. answer is generally, well, you're very lucky that you're sick because you've got time on your hands. <laughs> and where are you going to be if not in your body and in your mind right now? Right. Because life has finally forced you to really figure out what being in your body and in your mind even means to you as a person who, like you said, there's no one else who has ever existed with this set of DNA. You are completely unique. What are you going to offer the world? Now's the time to figure that out. It certainly was for me. So how does bone broth fit into all this? Sure. Um, 
It is something that I kind of by happenstance ended up an expert on, mostly because I'm a private chef who has a special diet focus. And often when you work with special diets, you work with people who have assorted health issues. And as bone broth came to popularity, it was something that clients began asking me for. Mm -hmm. Um, Very quickly, I saw how much it helped. And it was a difficult topic for me initially because I've only been cooking meat for the past uh, two to three years, maybe, since recovering from the carbon monoxide poisoning and going back to personal chef work, which was honestly April of 2013. So I've only been back in the world for a fairly limited amount of time, and I've only been cooking meat for that long. I had been a raw food chef and a vegetarian chef before oh, that. Oh, Wow. So it was a lot for me to grapple with, and I was very into, well, I'll, you know, I'll cook this, but I'll taste it as little as possible. And it was, I had a very holier-than-thou kind of attitude about it. And then bone broth came up as a topic and came up repeatedly, and I began cooking it for people, and I started to really see that I was missing out on something very big from a healing perspective. And it ended up changing my entire viewpoint about animal products, mm-hmm. from animal flesh to dairy, whatever else. Right. Um, it is an incredibly healing food, and it is something that works for such a myriad of conditions. You would be, and I have been, absolutely amazed. Um, my biggest accomplishment to date with it was um, a client of mine who came to me in January and had been going through in vitro, uh, failing round after round for nearly two years. And she found out that the reason it wasn't working was because she had a host of health conditions that were initially caused by leaky gut, which mm-hmm. leads to a whole lot of other things. Yes. And I worked with her on nutrition and cooked for her several times a week. And predominantly with bone broth, we got her to a place where the in vitro was able to work. And she's now over halfway to term with twins. Hey. And when my, yes, it was, it was a big one. And when my book, um, I was initially approached by a publisher to do it. It wasn't something that I had thought of on my own. And even though they asked me to write the book, they already had the title. And the title was The Bone Broth Miracle. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, this is good stuff, but are you sure about that? That seems a little <laughs> a little bit much. And then with no idea what the title of my book was going to be, when my client got pregnant, she said, these are the Bone Broth Miracle Babies. Aww. And I said, oh, I guess that fits. It totally <laughs> so it's does. Something, that's something that I've used um, now for everything from small intestinal bacterial overgrowth to the literally fertility with great success. And it's something that even though I'm still not huge on the eating meat, I can make a point of consuming on a regular basis because um, even though I'm very much Lyme free, I think we all have some things that it left us with, Yeah, you know, that, that were kind of not ideal. And for me, my digestion hmm. was one of those things where I was fine and I could eat whatever, but I always had to take digestive aids with meals. And after a couple months of bone broth, I began noticing that I didn't need this anymore. Interesting. So whatever intestinal damage had been left from the Lyme, because, you know, getting getting the right bacteria back after you've had the Ugh. absolute ravaging that Lyme disease does, especially with the candida, because that I think most people um, experience that with the Lyme, where, I mean, for me, I went from being a very pure raw foodist mm-hmm. to eating entire boxes of cookies till I cried and then like eating the cookies along with the tears because I couldn't stop. Stop, yeah. Um, so that, that takes some time for the body to get back from. And even for me, it being four or five years later, I had plateaued. 
and my digestion and my gut had returned to their best version of self mm-hmm. at the time, which was good. And I could eat wherever I wanted, provided I took some kind of supplement with my meal. Right. But um, after a couple months of bone broth, I began noticing I don't need anything anymore. And unless I have a meal of foods that just aren't foods meant for my body, like no matter what great things may come of cabbage, my body has zero interest in it whatsoever, <laughs> never has, never will, unless I do something like even, that. Even fermented? I want. Even, oh my goodness, that's the absolute worst. <laughs> I've, I've made kimchi, I've made sauerkraut, I've bought it, I've had it in restaurants, and there is no form of it that my body says okay to, so now I know to just leave it alone. Isn't that interesting? So with exceptions of foods like that, it really um, it made a huge difference for me on a personal level, mm-hmm. and I think that once you've seen the combination of how it's changed other people's lives and it changes something about yourself that you were just settled with, right. you know, I was fine. I wasn't, I wasn't, when people said, do you have Lyme symptoms still to me needing digestive aids is by no means right. an illness symptom, especially right. compared to like oh my the goodness. absolute hell that Lyme disease puts you through, yeah. you know, I can't feel my feet is like a real Lyme symptom. I need a digestive aid. Not so much. So, um, the combination of that, of seeing what it did for others and experiencing it myself, um, was really, really transformed my views about animal foods and animal products. And it's something that I've become a very big believer in by seeing it work. And it's so interesting because it is such the health fad right now. And it's funny to me because what I initially became known for was um, I had a brand of food. I had a brand of snacks that were raw vegan snacks and oh. my best-selling food, kale chips. What, were so they, what was the brand? From, it was called Rock and Roll Cuisine, R-A-W-K. Okay. I had um, I had the best-selling brand of kale chips in like the Southern Pacific region of Whole Foods. Um, I had this one, <laughs> and this one flavor called Nachos, N-O-T-C-H-O-S, that everyone thought was made with actual cheese. They were very fun. Um, but to end up going from one like really quintessential, ridiculous, trendy food to another one, I was like, well, okay. Apparently, this is my place, and that's fine, because at least they're good, happy foods that make people feel good. Since you're such a trendsetter, let me interrupt this great conversation for a second. What's the next trend? You know, something (laughs) that I get asked a lot, and the closest that I have come up with, and people, no one has believed me yet, Okay, but it's kind of a takeoff from bone broth, gelatin. Like jello and marshmallows, homemade are some of the most nutrient-dense foods. And it's very similar to bone broth with some of the aspects because one of the most helpful things about broth is the gelatin. Yep. But you get, you can consume so much more of it when you do something like marshmallows where a recipe has like half a cup in just one pan. Um, no one has really believed me yet, but that has been my answer for a little while now because okay. I believe it myself pretty strongly. Okay, I'll, I'll go on record. Like fun, fun. I, I, I believe you. Fun 1960s food. Yeah, absolutely. Really yeah, on its way back. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It goes, anyway, the, do you know the Weston Price Foundation? Weston A. Price yes, Foundation. Okay. Because mm-hmm. it's like they're, you know they're all about this stuff and have been for years, yeah. and they've just been you know they're either way ahead of the curve or old curmudgeons. I'm not sure which one they are. Maybe a combination of both. A combination but. of both. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Sally, Sally Fallon definitely gets the um, the queen of the paleo movement title. Yes, she's she's a character. She's. Have you seen pictures of her dairy? I have her not. dairy farm. It? It's like this. Uh, going on this uh, side note here, it's like a palace. 
So she's got this oh, dairy farm that is looks like a Swiss manufacturing site for iPhones or something. I mean, it's so clean <laughs> and so high tech. It's unreal. It's like, wow. How funny. Because we're on the but little, it is a- we're on the little farm out here and it's all mud and mud and cow droppings. It doesn't look like her place at all. <laughs> anyway. No, that's, um, that's a big thing now. It's so cool. When I was, um, I went to the natural products expo in March and, you know, you see everything that's about to be in stores. And just now the last month or so I've seen it come to stores. There's something called the A2 milk company. Yes, of course. And it's, yes. And it's only, it's now in like Whole Foods and I saw it at a regular retailer when I ran in somewhere for like paper towels. It was at like Ralph's or Pavilions or one of the, you know, fully normal commercial places. And it was hilarious because I had no idea they were going to make it that mainstream that fast. Yeah. And so I why thought, don't you just you know, tell people what A2 Milk is, just for those people who aren't plugged into our crazy world? Sure. So there, there are two types of cows, A1 and A2. And I was of the understanding that A1 cows were all genetically modified, but that is apparently not true. Yeah, it's not Some true. Some A1 cows are. They are the ones you see most commonly, and the A2 are typically like the Jersey cow, the brown and white instead of black and white, more heirloom varieties, more of how cows were supposed to be. And this one company out of Australia began making milk just with them, and they were the first ones to be able to say commercially, these are the only cows we use. And the milk has a lot more health benefits and the dairy has a lot more health benefits than traditional A1 and A2 combination milk, which even most of the grass-fed brands, um, you have to use a combination because there just aren't as many commercially available A1 cows. Right. A2, so it's A2 really cows, interesting. Right. A, yes. So exactly. Sorry. It's right. super interesting to me how um, the way they've branded it you wouldn't even know. Hmm. It's like this milk can change everything. And then it's like, look here. And it has a little arrow to the side. And on the front, it just has this really cute A2 and it's like red or purple, <laughs> depending on which one it is. And I love that. Yeah. Like the, you have to appeal to the masses. You have to appeal to the people who aren't interested. And same thing with having this, you know, pristine iPhone looking dairy, you have to give people what they're expecting mm-hmm. visually yep. in order for them to end up being interested in something different. And if it looks like, you know, the Amish, mm-hmm. some of us will find that very exciting like me, but most of us won't. Right. Yep. So it's, it's interesting because you have to give people that, that sense of, of modern culture, even yeah. if you're talking about something beyond incredibly traditional. Yeah. Yep, yep. You've got your you've got your finger on the pulse. Marshmallows is definitely going to be there. It's your <laughs> rock and roll marshmallows or whatever you're going to call them. <laughs> rock star marshmallows. So help help me out here because we so we've got this heritage breed on our farm. We have a, a very small herd of American Milking Devons, which is a the first cow on the northern uh, continent here. And they were, they were pushed off the, they think they were pushed off the Mayflower and, uh, had to swim ashore, essentially. And I, so we've got this wonderful source of, of grass fed, you know, it's not organic because we're not certified, but we don't feed them anything. They, they just eat their fill of grass and we have too much pasture. So they're fat and happy cows. I tried to make bone broth with a a cow bone. It was the worst Mm -hmm. tasting stuff. 
I, I did something horribly wrong. So help, help me make, make bone broth the right sure. way. <laughs> sure. You know, it's, it's so funny because cows, cow bones, it's the most nutritious. Unless you're comparing them with something like lamb, which there isn't great access to, beef is the most nutritious broth. And for some reason, we're all gluttons for punishment, so that's where we all begin uh-huh. because we want to go the most nutritious route. And that's what I had in my freezer. One hundred percent. You give. I would. I would bet a good bit of money that you didn't do anything wrong. Okay. The way to begin with bone broth, if beef is too intense because as a broth it is incredibly intense oh. is with chicken at least in combination okay. the way that i suggest for people because i get a lot of people who aren't meat people yep wanting to make it and they're like oh god i tried <laughs> <laughs> was that was horrible. my response um, it was it was terrible yeah, the way that you begin, typically, <laughs> um, if you are not into the taste of beef bone broth, which many people are not, okay. is you make just chicken broth, and then one by one, each batch, you begin you begin adding a beef bone, and then two beef bones, and you transition into it. Okay. The same way that if you're like an iceberg lettuce salad kind of person, Ugh, you there's would some not people go like that out there from iceberg Ugh. to like arugula. Yes. You know, it wouldn't be a good time. You would add a few beads of it in until you got used to it. And then over the course of a while, eventually you'd be like, hey, this salad is really dark green. Mm -hmm. And it tastes fine because I got used to it. So that's the number one way. Um, Chicken is just, it's much more palatable. And even though we eat so much beef as a culture, when you're talking commercial soups and what you buy in restaurants and what you get in a can, most of the time it's chicken broth, not beef broth. Really? Because chicken broth is so very palatable and just has this very generic, commercial, homey, mama's chicken soup kind of taste. Yeah. So that's what I always encourage people to begin with when the taste is too much and to just go one by one with the beef bones until they've got a mix and then begin weaning out the chicken. And by the time you get there and you're eating all beef again in months from now, even though realistically it tastes like what you just made, it's going to taste different to you. Okay. So it's an acquired taste. Um, for for the more serious bones, yes, like the marrow bones, yeah. yes. Um, I, yeah, I went all I went all in. I cooked that sucker for a day and a half and it was a nice big fat thigh bone. It was great. Mm-hmm. It was a wonderful bone. Yeah. And that would be that would be excellent for you to eat. And if it's something that you just didn't like the taste of, what you can also do is instead of trying to drink it or use it as a soup, is just use it as a cooking liquid. So if you eat anything like potatoes or rice or uh-huh. pasta or quinoa or anything that you would cook in water, you would just use that instead just- and then continue to flavor your food like you normally would. Onions, garlic, salt, pepper, whatever else you'd normally do. Oh, cool. And the broth then goes completely into the background. Mm-hmm. And you don't notice ah. that it was intense beef broth to begin. So that's another way to work with it if you don't want to have to start slowly with what the strongest health value is. I mean, every kind of bones does have its own unique properties. Chicken is the only one that has the immune factors. So let's which talk- science has. Yeah, let's talk about that because obviously people with Lyme are interested in their immune system. Yes. So the the whole concept of grandma's chicken soup has been scientifically proven. It's real <laughs> and it will it does help the immune system. What is in chicken bones, um the immune factors in them will actually 
help the immune system. It is not as anti-inflammatory as beef bones because chicken does not contain the same omegas. Uh, beef and lamb have CLA and ALA, okay. conjugated linoleic acid. Yeah. Um, and those are omegas that are very anti-inflammatory and also help with weight. And even though they're, some of them are six instead of three, they're ones that we don't really get much of and they act anti-inflammatory in the body. Okay. So any of them, any meat that you use will have a good bit of gelatin. It can, it can and should be firm once it's refrigerated mm-hmm. and all of the gut peeling properties from it. Um, that you get from the gelatin, you'll get from any bones. So you don't want to skim that stuff off the top. Well, the stuff on the top is the fat. Okay. And that's, that's different. And if you are okay to use that, it is the healthiest fat you could cook with. So leave that in too. And, um, if it, if it's palatable for you, I mean, there are people out there using lard and for those people, it is a natural for people who are, you know, cooking spray types, it's going to be a bit intense. <laughs> it just depends. We all, we all come from different places, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on the fat side. I have to come out as a major fat eater. So, I am as well. Yeah. People always ask how I stay thin, and fat is the answer. Yeah, I eat fat and just watch their hair just curl. It's funny, isn't it? Exactly. Um, and even if you're not into the beef fat taste, if you begin with predominantly chicken in mm-hmm. broth, Chicken fat is really pretty much everyone loves that. Now, but you can't just get a chicken from the grocery store and throw it in a pot. What do you, I mean, how do do you make this? Well, sure. Well, the most important part is that you are using well-sourced meat because typical same as meat is the bones. Grass-fed meat is grass-fed beef is anti-inflammatory. Grain-fed beef is inflammatory. inflammatory, Chicken full of pesticides is chicken full of pesticides all the way down to the bones. And the last thing you want to do is boil yourself twelve hours of pesticides. They're an antibiotics. There isn't really anything good that will come of that. So, also, I'm a big believer in the energy of what you consume, Mm. and consuming the energy of an animal that's had a happy life makes a lot more sense to me than consuming the energy of an animal that's had a really terrible, tortured life. So, you begin with either just bones that are scraps from meat that you've already cooked. If it's cooked already, that's fine. You would just take the meat off the bones. Or you can begin with whole pieces of meat, like an entire chicken or chicken legs breasts, um, oxtails, where there's meat on the bones, beef shanks on the bones, lamb shank, where you have that whole, you know, leg or shoulder cut with the huge bone running through it. Mm-hmm. And when you cook that in water, if you ha- you're you using the meat, um, then you can eat that. And it's basically like stew meat where it's really, really soft and you can make a stew in there. The main thing with it is that if you want to flavor it with vegetables, you certainly can, but they don't really count for anything. Because by the time the broth is done cooking, they have no nutrition value left and they don't really have that much flavor. So I recommend, because I like things to be easy, that people make the broth with um, a very general ratio that I use is a pound of bones to a quart of water. A teaspoon, or to half a half, half, pardon me, half a teaspoon to a teaspoon of salt, and half a tablespoon to a tablespoon of vinegar or other acid to help pull the minerals out of the bones. And if you want flavor from there, it makes more sense to me to then take that liquid, add some chopped onions and garlic, and go from there to have soup. Um, 
if you do things like hard spices, like rosemary or, you know, the firmer ones, mm-hmm. not parsley, but something like rosemary, will stay, you'll get more flavor out of. Just right. like garlic, you know, whole cloves, you'll get more flavor out of. But if you are thinking the way that you would normally flavor a soup, like some parsley and thyme, you're not going to get much by way of flavor. And if you go putting something like carrots in, by the time the broth is done cooking, you're really, you just have some carrot mush. mush. No one's, no <laughs> one's going to be so, in, so interested in that. Um, and then as far as how you cook it, it's stovetop, uh, pressure cooker, or crock pot. The stovetop is the most accessible method because everyone has a pot, Mm -hmm. but I find it the least preferable because I don't really think it's a great idea to leave a pot on the stove for a day or two. Mm. It just seems kind of risky (laughs) to me. So I always go one of the other two routes. Um, If you have a crock pot, it's an easy way to do it because it just plugs into the wall and you leave it anywhere from 12 to 48 hours. And then the pressure cooker is my method of choice because I make broth for people all the time and I can't come back two days later and turn off the pot and take out the bones. Right. So being able to do it in an hour or two is to me a really wonderful thing instead. And pressure cookers are not the explosive kitchen devices they once were. Um, the modern versions are really easy to use. They're not terribly expensive and they cook the broth to the same extent as far as the bones breaking down in a couple hours as mm-hmm. you would get on the stove or in a crock pot pretty okay. much overnight. So yeah, that's, that's always, my preferred method. And, and it's mostly sealed in, right? There's a safety valve on the pressure cooker, but it seals everything in. So you're not losing things through the steam and. Correct. It is cooking it by, yes, exactly. It is completely like hermetically sealed and it is the steam getting so far deep within the food that it's cooking it so quickly. And really within about two hours, your bones are as soft as they would be after 12 hours on the stove. So what I always recommend for people who want to go the pressure cooker route, but still are afraid of something exploding is that you don't, and I don't know why this isn't more popular of an idea, but you don't ever have to actually depressurize the pressure cooker. Right. All you have to do is turn it off. And let it cool off. And give it a while. Yeah. And about half an hour later, you can just open the pan, open up the pot, and the pressure has gone away, and you're fine. People, The mo- thing that people are the most trepidatious about is turning that spout at the wrong time and everything getting everywhere. But you can definitely just turn it off half an hour before you planned on and let it do its thing on its own, and then you don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, great tip. Great tip. Well, Ariana, you have been very generous with your time and knowledge. And oh, my pleasure. I want – I mean, hopefully what we've done is – uh, wet people's appetite, pun totally intended, and that they go out and get your book because I, I needed to talk to you for like three hours to do a real interview about your book because you get you get into anti-inflammatory soups and immune system soups and heal your relationship soups and there's just so many great things in there that it we just we haven't even scratched fun. the surface we haven't even scratched the surface. But so well, your book you. is a treasure. It's such a treasure um, that well, everybody needs to have in the kitchen. And I think especially people with Lyme disease, they're spending so much money trying to get better. Here's something you can do for a few bucks is cook yourself some soup. And it might be the thing that turns things around. 
because nutrition is so critical and your gut so critical and the soup does all that to heal it. It is. And one thing that I think is really important for people who have been dealing with Lyme for a long time to be aware of is it's often not even the Lyme anymore that's keeping you down. It is just your poor body having been so harmed by the disease and by everything that you have put into it to get rid of this disease. You come from this vantage point of kill, kill, kill. And you can't poison your way to health and you can't kill your way to a good time. So taking steps to soothe your system and heal your system can often be some of the most helpful, helpful steps you can take that really do lead back to health without the next treatment. The next treatment could just be letting your body get better and helping it on its own. Yeah, well said. Now, do you have website, Facebook? What are your uh, internet Um, addresses? Thank you. My website is ariancooks.com, and that's A-R-I-A-N-E-C-O-O-K-S.com. My Facebook is Chef Ariane Resnick. My Twitter is at Ariane Resnick, and my Instagram is Chef underscore Ariane. And again, my first name is A-R-I-A-N-E. It's got a lot of vowels. <laughs> and that's why it sounds so lovely. And, <laughs> and the name of your book is The Bone Broth Miracle. Yes, my book is The Bone Breath Miracle, and it is available at Amazon, um, on Barnes & Noble, and in select bookstores and libraries across the country and beyond. That's fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you. What a pleasure. I had so much fun with Arin and that interview. One of the nice things about producing the show is I get to go back and re-listen to the interview that's often done weeks before, sometimes even several months before. And just the knowledge that you can get from people by just listening to them and learning from their experience is amazing. So you all have homework now, and that's to make yourself some chicken broth if you're looking to boost your immune system or some beef bone broth if you're looking for the anti-inflammatory properties of bone broth. And I think some of her suggestions on how to work the flavor of the beef broth into your palate by mixing it with chicken broth is precious. That type of hands-on, I've cooked for celebrities type of experience is just so valuable. Because I tell you, I cooked the beef bone broth. And I'm telling you, it was tough. And my youngest daughter tells me I have no taste buds left anyway from all the different things I've eaten over the years. But let me tell you, that was strong, powerful stuff. So the idea of mixing it with chicken soup, that way you get the best of both worlds, the immune system and the anti-inflammatory. So go ahead, get some good, well-sourced, organic, pasture-raised chicken, and go make yourself some broth. That wraps up the first lesson of our four-part masterclass on brain health and nutrition. If you like this show, make sure you go over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and sign up for our mailing list. That way you'll be sure not to miss a show. And there are also other goodies that come out from time to time. And again, that address is LimeNinjaRadio.com. Go over there, sign up. And as a thank you, we will send you our Brain Fog Cheat Sheet. 
That's it for this evening. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique, and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.